Sachs, you're on Lost Arts Radio, and we're in the middle of some very interesting times, and it's important to use them, use the time as well as we possibly can under the circumstances. And we have a great honor of a friend and incredible guest with us tonight. Leslie Manukin is the founder and, and president of uh, Health Freedom Defense Alliance. I think I said that correctly. Fund. Fund. Sorry, <laughs> Leslie. Don't we're doing you worry. 10 things at once as usual. That's okay. Health Freedom we're... Defense Fund, and we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about some deeper issues too. And um, we're going to probably start out talking about money and the world of finance and how that's tied together with health. And in, I'll just tell you up front with a spoiler alert, I'm not against money at all. I think it's something that can do a lot of good. And I don't feel that love of money or use of money or focus on money is the root of anything bad unless you're willing to sell yourself for it. And unfortunately, that's going on all over the world. And uh, we've got a lot to get into because of what's about to happen right now. So welcome, Leslie, and let's see where this goes. It'll be interesting. Um, I, I should say, <clears throat> excuse me, since our time is really limited, um, I saw your great conversation with Dr. Callan, uh, which is on your website, and I'd recommend it to anybody that wants to look at that. Um, we have to say something about your background, because you were in the finance world originally before anything to do with health, right? And I think that's important context to what we're about to talk about. So you want to briefly just tell people what your involvement was? Yeah, so um, it's, it's interesting what you brought up, the the your comment and your view about money, because I used to think that it was dirty and bad and think about all the terminology that's used to turn filthy rich, right? These are the terms yeah, yeah. used to describe it. And I used to be ashamed that I was a really high earner. I right. went to the University of Chicago and got my MBA, which maybe your listeners know is a very um, prestigious business school in the United States, one of the most prestigious actually in the world mm -hmm. for finance. And I studied finance. And then I went and I worked, I came out of business school and I went to go and work at Goldman Sachs. And I worked at Goldman Sachs for a little over four years before I just became so disillusioned with it that I thought, well, if I leave and I go and work for a client, maybe there will be fewer conflicts of interest. And so I went and I worked for Alliance Capital, which was one of my clients. And Alliance Capital at the time was the largest publicly traded asset manager or investment manager in the world. And I was responsible for their European growth portfolio management 
and European growth research businesses. So in my line of work, what I did was essentially manage all these analysts who analyzed different stocks and companies in different sectors. Um, I actually started out at Alliance as the telecom and technology analyst. And when I was at mm-hmm. Goldman, I put on the very first ever European technology conference. I was very um, interested in those stocks. Of course, they were, you know, hot and sexy and exciting yeah, in, the late, yeah. in the mid and late 90s, right? And, um, and at that anyway. point, you, you weren't questioning what they were doing too much, just whether they made money. No, exactly. That's all I thought about. And mm-hmm. what my job was was to decide which European stocks we should put into our portfolios. And so I and my team would interview the CEOs of multinational corporations to understand their businesses, what the drivers of growth and margins, profitability, things like this were, so that we could decide whether or not their stock was something that we wanted to own. And if we did want to own it, what kind of a, what size of a position we would take in it. So I got said the company would own it and then the clients would become part of a fund. So they'd indirectly own the same thing. Is that the idea? Well, so, you know, I manage money directly for some big Italian banks. And then we also had individual clients. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, you could have what are called institutional clients. You could manage for a government somewhere. You could manage money for a university endowment. You could manage money for um, an insurance company because they invest. Right. There are lots of different different ways. And so we had uh, the whole spectrum of clients at Alliance Capital. It's just that I was responsible for trying to select the European companies that would go into our European, our international, meaning outside the United States and our global portfolios, which include the United States. Right. So, and in that line of work, right, in that, in my day-to-day work, I heard things that really stunned me. I mean, you may have heard me tell the story that I interviewed um, or one of the managements of, you know, all of the top officials of one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world came into our offices and in one breath told us how their new blockbuster drug, which was coming down the pike, it was in phase three trials, had killed some people during the phase three trials and he assured us that the it was very, very rare. And then he said, without missing a beat, that um, the FDA was, the bad news was, the FDA was going to make them put a black box warning on their packaging. And the good news was, they still thought they could do $7 billion in peak sales. So the black box doesn't discourage many people from buying. What, what does a black box look like? So a black, it's this little black you know, a black box on the packaging of the pharmaceutical product in question. It says warning may cause X, Y, Z consult with your physician. Okay. And so it's, it's something that is supposed to warn the public about the dangers of this product, the product in question, and also warn the physicians. And therefore, if there's a comparable product that doesn't contain that warning, then they would be much more likely to prescribe that one. But in reality, it doesn't have much impact. And I think the most important thing from my perspective was that this, this, you know, senior officer of this company was being extremely cavalier in his assessment of the trade-off between human life and corporate profit. And so seeing that really changed my view of what I was doing and led me to conclude that I was playing for the wrong team because I was using my skills and my education and, you know, 
whatever my God-given talents, but I was doing something that I didn't feel was actually, um, I don't know, honest, really, decent. It wasn't in integrity with myself, that's for sure. And I Encouraging people to invest in companies that were causing harm and death. Yeah. And the thing is, and, these, and that people don't know, you know, how many people actually have that front row seat that I did? Almost no mm-hmm. one, right? We're talking maybe a couple thousand people worldwide get that opportunity, right? To, right, right. to, to meet with these CEOs on a, at least semi-annual basis and ask them all sorts of questions and hear what they think the risks are in the... So the CEOs, that's the people making the decision of what to sell and how, I guess, for each company. What, what insight did you get into their mentality? Because they know, they always say it's extremely rare no matter what it is, but, but they know what it's doing. So how are they relating to that? And, you know, what impression did you get of that being around them? Well, I think what I said is that they just, you know, it's their focus is not on your health. It's on their wealth right? It's on their corporate profits, which is what's their job. Their job is to maximize um, shareholder value, and that is an increasing stock price. Right. But Um, how do you think they avoided the conflict that you were going through and feel okay about it? I see what you're asking. Um, You know, listen, how do people avoid concluding? I mean, this is going to sound strange, but can you smell cooking food through your mask? Can you smell a cigarette through your mask? Sure. Of course you can. How do people delude themselves into believing that this piece of fabric across their face actually has some kind of immunological effect when if if you believe in the whole theory of viruses, they are so microscopic, you have to use a very high-powered microscope to see them, and there's no way that that piece of fabric is going to stop them, right? And so right. But people believe this, and I think it's just because we delude ourselves into believing things that we want to believe and ignoring things that we don't. And I think that people, these senior officials, and also the investment managers, they're all making a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was making a lot of money. I mean, a ton of money, more than money than I ever thought I would make in my whole life. And, right. and but I don't know, maybe some of us, maybe I had a really principled upbringing. Um, maybe... Um, They've just lost their way. For some reason, the moral compass inside these people has shut down or else they feel that they are so powerless to do something about it that they just ignore it. Right, because um, and, let me tell you that and I want to be very clear about this, Richard. Yeah. It's not just the pharmaceutical industry. I had other senior officials from businesses tell me how confident they were that they were going to get a power project in some developing country. And it was over time that I began to realize, well, they're, they know they're going to win it because they must be bribing these people, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, this, it's, there's this veneer of sophistication and um, professionalism that pervades everything. But I think right below that veneer, there is all sorts of um, monkey business going on and mm-hmm. certainly a lot of gray areas. Even if it's not out and out fraud, there is a turning, you know, a blind eye to these issues so they don't have to live with it. And so they can keep on minting money. It's the same with the telecom industry that knows about the effects of wireless radiation. Oh, come on. And Monsanto, come on. I mean, right. listen, the, the, the GMO manufacturers, the, 
pesticide manufacturers, the um, cellular companies, all these, everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not unique to any one industry. The point is that I really truly believe that one of the biggest problems that we face is that these corporations have gotten bigger than any individual country for the most part. We used to have um, something called Sherman antitrust laws that had a huge impact on keeping businesses from garnering too large of a market share um, and too much competitive advantage against others. And when I joined Wall Street in the 1990s, and it was 1992 when I went to Goldman, every time there was a a major acquisition of a company or mergers of equals or something like that, it would have to go through the Federal Trade Commission for approval, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the reason was because the Sherman Antitrust Act was still in place and, you know, operable and considered very important. And so, it had to be assessed to determine whether or not it was going to be an anti-competitive merger. And many were denied. But nowadays, they, that almost never happens. And so what's happened is, you know, these corporations have, in some cases, a trillion dollars in cash sitting on their balance sheets. They, their mm-hmm. market cap is, no, a trillion dollars is too high. Their market caps are near a trillion dollars. Some of them, Apple, and some of the other big tech companies were near a trillion dollars before the recent correction in the markets. The market cap is the value of all of the outstanding stock times the share price. Right. And it's considered the overall value of the business. Okay. And, um, many, you know, there were several companies that were getting close to a trillion dollars and these companies are earning tens of billions. In fact, I think Pfizer says it's going to earn something near a hundred billion off of these. COVID injections. Mm-hmm. And the reason that number is so big is it, it just sounds huge. It is huge, but it's bigger than the GDP, the gross domestic product of most nations on the planet. So mm-hmm. when a private actor has that kind of wealth, it wields extraordinary power in order to influence people who are, you know, pulling the strings of power. Right. In my original comment in the introduction, I was just mentioning that. I think blaming it on the amount of money and power may not be the key point because if some, if somebody was really principled, you know, as you've demonstrated and, and other people have and put in a position of that much power, do you think you'd be corrupted? Well, listen, I walked away because I felt empty, right? So I have to tell you a story um, and pardon me if I tear up, but it really was an important moment in my life. All these things were happening and, you know, once when you first start on Wall Street, the, the learning curve is so steep that you're just absorbing information the first couple of years. There's not a lot of time right. to think and reflect. Right. But after 10 years, you have a fairly good perspective on what's going on if you're even remotely awake. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was I got a huge bonus. I came home that night and I was just like making dinner with my husband, whatever, like I was opening the refrigerator door in our flat in London. And my husband said, oh, my gosh, did you get your bonus? Did you find out? And I said, oh, yeah. I'd forgotten to tell him, but I said, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I got my bonus, and I started crying. And he was like, what's wrong? I mean, it was an extraordinary amount of money, in my view. Right. And, um, um, you know, in seven figures, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I started crying and looked at him, and he was just like, what's wrong? Are you disappointed? You know, is it? Less yeah, than you thought it would be. Right. And I was just like, no, 
I feel empty. I'm empty. And I was empty, Richard, because, you know, I had all the trappings of success. I had position. I was a director. I'm, I had power, right? I'm in the position of power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm being interviewed in major financial publications and managing a lot of money and all this. And, and, and I'm also being paid a lot of money. So I had money, position, power, everything. Right. But I was, I guess, still connected enough to my heart and honest enough that what really mattered to me was whether or not I was living in integrity with myself. And I felt like what I was doing was destroying my soul. And so I knew I had to get out. And I don't think, I guess most people have somehow switched off that at some point in their lives mm-hmm. where they no longer are connected to their heart. They no are longer connected to what's really important to them and in their lives. And it, it, in some ways, it seems like it gets harder to acknowledge that and reconnect the farther away you get. Listen, you have to accept a lot. They don't call them golden handcuffs for no reason. Right. 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 The, the longer you're there, let me just explain. I got stock options every year and then I got something mm. called partners capital. And my partners capital vested over four or five, I think four years. And the options, stock options invested over, I think seven years. I could be wrong, but it's something like right. that. But the point is that let's say they give you $100,000 in partners capital. You get $20,000 of that the first year. Right. If it's over, if it's over four years, you'd give it 25 the first year. You'd get 50,000 of it, meaning that you actually can sell, you can monetize it. You can sell mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then over four years, you get the whole hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Right, with right. options, it's the same thing. But the point is with every year, you get more options. So your curve, your compensation curve goes like this for every year you're there because the first year you'll get on the options, you only get a seventh of them. And the next year, then you'll get two sevenths. But the next year, you also get a seventh of your new year of options, right? Mm-hmm. And so it keeps laddering on top, layering wow. on top. And wow. so it just becomes this massive hockey stick. Whereas if you stick around, the longer you stick around, the um, stronger the ties that bind. Because right. they really financial. don't want people defecting. Exactly. And it was a huge... I mean, I walked away from millions and millions of dollars. I think this is, you know, we're talking about a subject that is really critical to understanding what's going on in the world right now. And we could talk a long time about that. But in view of the time we've got, what what made you walk away, the, turn, the breaking point was with the vaccine company. Is that right? Yeah, well, the pharmaceutical companies just, you know, uh, I mean, I, yeah, medical yeah. drug. You're right, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't a pure vaccine maker, is my point. <clears throat> that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. I was just like so distressed by it. Um, because I, they I, acknowledged I, the deaths. Yes. And it was the first time that someone had been so blatant, right? So brazen. I just couldn't. I was like, you know, I went to my office and paced back and forth. And then I walked down the hallway to our pharmaceutical analyst office and I flung the door open to our office. And I was like, I'll call her Josephine. Josephine, this is wrong. And she looked up at me from her chair and she was sort of like, yeah, I know, but what do you want me to do about it? You know? Well, So she actually understood that. I think so. Yeah. She She could have said, what do you mean? She said, yes. Yeah. Wow. So, 
shortly after that, you left, I guess? I started planning my exit. I didn't want to, you know, listen, (laughs) being the kind of person I am, I didn't want to leave Alliance Capital in the lurch, the European growth business Mm -hmm. I had really created in that, or I had created the research team. It had been built around me. I did not want to leave them in a difficult position. So I started making sure that there was someone who could fill my shoes as director of research and things like that and Mm -hmm. put it in place. So it took about two years before I felt that it was a, I was comfortable and wouldn't be leaving them high and dry. And then I got pregnant and um, that really solidified my decision for me. You know, I tried mm. to go back for a few months and I just couldn't right. deal with it. I just, you know, um, I didn't want <sighs> nannies and cooks and mm. staff to raise my son. Yeah. It's not the mother I wanted to be, you know, and it's, this is kind of like the whole money thing. I fully believe like back then I used to feel guilty and, and a little bit ashamed that I was, you know, being paid all this money and, and had been so successful. And, but I've completely changed my thinking around it. And, and now I think that money is actually liberation. It's freedom. And, and the other thing is it's one of the ways that we actually, um, incentivize and reward innovation and creativity and hard work. And I don't think those are bad things. If money was used for something good, imagine how fast the world would turn around. And it can be used for good, right? There are people out there who use it for good in lots of good ways. I don't pay myself. I use almost, I mean, literally 90% of the donations that people Mm -hmm. give to us at Mm healthfreedomdefense.org go to our litigation to help people. I do not take a salary. I work for free and I work, probably 60 to 80 hours a week because I care. All right. And what I wanted to compare is that there's a, a comparison in my mind, a sort of a, a similarity or a parallel between money, not being inherently bad and being able to get to that point And also recognizing it's about just like intellectual, spiritual and moral honesty. I think that you can't have it all. I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be Mm. and hold the job that I was doing. There was no way. There's no way I would have the amazing, literally just incredible young man of a son that I have now who's 19 years old. Had I stayed doing what I was doing? Women are encouraged to do that though now. Yes, of course. But my point is like, what it really comes down to is, you know, none of these things are inherently right or wrong. We have to figure them out for ourselves and we have to be, we have to have the courage to be intellectually honest with ourselves. Right. I think that's the really, what I really want to say. And decide priorities, right? Of course. And that's the intellectual honesty though, isn't it? So you did. Is it more important to you to make money or is it more important to you to be a mother? And for me. Right. I was like, okay, I'm going to give up a lot, but I'm going to gain so much more. And I would never, never once did I look back. Never once. So when did you leave the financial world? Uh, June or July of 2003. 19 years back, about. So you did some other things. I mean, it didn't stop with just finding out that the money was being used in an unethical way. 
what made you think, you know, what was the track that led you into the Health Freedom Defense Fund and getting involved in all that and yeah. the focus that you've got on health now? Yeah, well, first, I have to just, you know, take the little segue to the greater good, right? I made a documentary, award-winning documentary on yeah. vaccines called The Greater Good, which if you're, you know, listeners and viewers don't know about, you can see at greatergoodmovie.org. And um, yeah, that was a great film. I saw it multiple times. Thank you, Richard. Um, I think it's as important today as it was when it first came out 11 years ago. But what happened was I had gotten sick after I left business school, and I didn't know why. Um, I kept going to the doctor all the time, and he finally said to me, I know you're sick, and you know you're sick, but I can't help you. Western medicine can't help you. I think you should go and see a homeopath. Well, I was living in England, and homeopathy is far more um accepted and common there it's you know you see it all over although it's been under attack for the last 10 years now right but um i went and i saw a homeopath and a claimed homeopath i waited three months to see her went and saw her and it was really a lightning bolt for me in terms of understanding health and healing the connection between our minds and our bodies our thoughts and our emotions and our bodies and i really came to see human life as a, you know, that we're physical beings having, a, 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 we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. Right. And it changed my view, but it changed my view so much that I actually enrolled in homeopathy college on the weekends in secret while I was still on Wall Street. Wow. Wow. And the very first day during orientation, the guy who was leading orientation said, you know, we're going to talk about all these things over the next three years. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about blockages to cure. We're going to talk about nutrition. We're going to talk about the mind-body connection. We're going to talk about vaccine injury. (laughs) And I honestly raised my hand and said, what are you talking about? Vaccines are the greatest invention of humankind. And he just (laughs) shrugged his shoulders and was like, well, that's one perspective and we're going to learn about another, you know, like, sorry to disappoint you. And I literally did the full on eye roll, like, oh my gosh, what a nutcase. This guy's, this guy is nuts, you know, whatever. I mean, this is, these are the greatest convention ever, but after the class, he handed me a book to read. And it was all, it was called vaccines. Are they really safe and effective written by Neil Z Miller couple of decades ago. And to say that it opened my eyes is an understatement. It had, you know, I'm an analyst geek by nature, but it had over 950 footnotes in the back to mainstream literature, medical literature, peer-reviewed research, documenting and exploring a huge spectrum of vaccine injury, ranging from allergies and arthritis and autoimmune disease to seizures, neurological problems, and death. And up to that point, I had thought there was no downside from a shot, no downside at all. I thought they were as benign as, you know, a piece of candy, you know, we all know is not totally benign, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you were well programmed. Yes. And I, and that spurred me to um, um, start investigating it in those early years. That was, I started, I think, homeopathy school in 2001. And um, I started in the fall, late fall of 2001, and I just did a deep dive on vaccines and I started researching them and researched them. I've never stopped researching them. It's now been 21 years. And um, the the movie finally came out in 2011. Mm -hmm. And that making that movie and also 
just having the experience of trying to raise money around it and then being attacked in the media and being so naive that I thought if I just share with the world what's really going on and do it honestly in an unemotional, um, you know, not a um, biased manner by showing both right. sides or all the different sides, then the people in power, government will do the right thing. They're going to be and so appreciative. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I thought that if, that the only problem in the world was that government didn't have enough money and that I was the problem because I didn't pay enough in taxes when I was on Wall Street. And so if, if, if government just knew the truth and had better funding, this would all be resolved and it would be addressed. And exactly the opposite happened. I was pilloried. We were censored by Sundance. I mean, the, the chief programmer at Sundance wanted our film in and it, she was blocked from including it in there. Yeah. Offering that January, January 2011. And, and then we were smeared by the New York Times. And I mean, it went on and on. But, you know, listen, it opened my eyes and I continued doing my research and it really catapulted me into the health freedom movement. That's how I met you, Richard, was through making the movie and being on the show with you a couple of times. And, yeah, that's right. Um, so what happened was in early 2000, literally, I think it was by, the first few days of January, when they started talking about this new thing coming out of China, I said to my husband, it's finally happening. Everything I've been talking about for mm-hmm. years, it's finally right. happening. Right. It's here. And this is going to be uglier than anything anybody ever imagined. And he was like, oh, come on, honey. It's not going to get that bad. And they'd been announcing it by then for quite a while, too. Yeah. But, you know, they started talking about how the virus lives on paper money in China. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not for just nine days, for 14 days. No, it's not 14. I think it's 27. <gasps> you know, it was just anything. Anyway, so the point was that I knew what was happening, and I had had the great uh, serendipity. I mean, if you ask me, God, mm-hmm. interacting, you know, uh, leading and directing my life to introduce me to an extremely experienced and accomplished international commercial litigator who understands how the big boys play the games, you know, how play the game. Yeah. And he helped me found Health Freedom Defense Fund Good. and um, has been the lead on most of our litigation. And that was what got us to the point where we actually struck down the mask mandate on April 18th of this year. Right. So you should you know, bring him, bring him back on the show sometime. Yeah. So people could meet him. I mean, yeah. most of the attorneys have a, little problem with ethics where they'll fight for anything who, that they're paid to do. But some attorneys are really committed to using their skills to, you know, promote what's true. Yeah. And it sounds like he's one of them. Well, I started telling him all about the vaccine court and how there are these right. special masters. There's not a judge and there's no jury. No. And that didn't sit well with him. And I told him about how there's no discovery <laughs> or due process. Right. You know, you can't, ask questions and you can't use anyway, there's, it's a completely rigged kangaroo kind of a court system and it's an administrative system. It's not a real court system. They had to agree to it as part of the 1986 uh, arrangement, right? Yeah. The 1986 agree, um, the national childhood vaccine injury act of 1986 set this system up. Yeah. And it was after this whole, that act, was passed in 1986 that the vaccine schedule exploded from 11 doses of what is it seven vaccines in the first year of life to now we have and I think let me think it was back then it was 27 doses of seven or nine vaccines in the first 18 years of life and now it's over 70 of 16 right. 
seven shots of 16 different vaccines. So they have no liabilities, the point. And my point is that the, the attorney and the attorneys that I've shared with this, shared this with, are disgusted because they've given their lives to the law and they believe, you know, believed that it were, that it was just, that it was fair, that it was decent and that it wouldn't victimize victims. Right. Right. Different than how it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was the whole impetus between starting Health Freedom Defense Fund. And I mean, gosh, since I started it in August of 2020, Mm-hmm. It has just been a blur because, of course, we're living through um, the most, I think, terrifying times that humanity's probably ever ever experienced, and mm-hmm. the assaults of, on our individual liberties and freedoms have never been so great, and or, or globally coordinated either, or globally coordinated. And what's at stake is literally, in my view, preservation of the human race and. Mm-hmm. Um, and any semblance of freedom that we could ever hope for. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, there are levels of it above money that it's coming from. And they're using money to motivate the servants of the bosses. But at the higher levels, it's um, it's their version of a spiritual thing that you might call satanic. You know, they're, they're actually doing it for the sake of, in my experience anyway, you can see what you think, but... Um, they're doing it for the sake of causing as much suffering as possible, ending in extermination. So enslavement is a, is a step toward that. Yeah. But I think it's elimination of life completely, including the perpetrators, because mm-hmm. I don't think they plan to get the reward on this level. Okay. But they're doing it by a protocol. And, if, and they have to give certain notices and pass certain milestones and things like that. So they make announcements. Uh, and if they don't do that, they could have killed everybody much faster, and they didn't. Well, you know, in that vein, um, it's not that the information isn't out there, right? Right. It's that most individuals don't avail themselves of it. That's the real problem. Just like it's been known, I mean, I've heard many doctors say in the last 10 years, that vaccines cause enormous injury and death Right. is not a scientific question. That's but most doctors correct. still don't know it. I know, but the, the point that is I've that it, the scientific debate is is literally essentially over. What is still a, a question is how how big are the numbers, and why has society not accepted it? And it's because the you know the tentacles of this beast mm-hmm. that are that seek to enslave us are everywhere in our schools, yeah. our universities. Edu- education our is a lot of it. Yeah. Huge. I mean, but it's but it extends to our universities and our right. hospitals and our medical journals and um, media you know, businesses. Oh, the media. I mean, listen, the the pharmaceutical industry alone will drop thirty five billion dollars on marketing and advertisements this year globally. Thirty five yeah. billion. That's just one industry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the majority of their budget. No, and and on top of that, but the other thing is that, I mean, that most Americans don't realize is that it's now legal to propagandize Americans, meaning it's legal to disseminate information that is either knowingly false or might be false. So basically, they can disseminate information that is patently false in order to manipulate and deceive you into doing um, 
you know, in, in service to their agenda. It's another part of the greater good, I guess, right? Oh, well, I guess you could argue that it's part of the greater good. I don't think that's really. No, I mean that they say it's for the greater good. No, I know. But my point is, I don't even think it's for that. I mean, lying to the public, it's, it was illegal in America. So the CIA, the intelligence could deceive other countries to manipulate them. But now my point is that these supposed intelligence agencies, they were supposed to be protecting us are now have been weaponized against us. And I don't even right. think it's about the greater good. I think it's just about power and control. I don't mean they would really think it's for the greater good. I mean, that's how it would be promoted. Yeah. You know, the reason that everybody has to be censored now is to protect us from wrong information. That is different. Yeah. So there, I I totally agree with you. I just think that, I don't even think they tried, they were trying to, to sell it that way when they did this in 2012, 2013, and 2016. It was all part of the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, with respect to, yeah, I mean, think about the, what do they call it? The, um, um, first of all, there's, I'm sure everybody knows about the disinformation governance board that the department, that the president and department of Homeland security or security has put forth. But then there's also the true health, true news initiative. What's it called? I'm forgetting now. And there's, there's, um, the pointer Institute. They fund PolitiFact. Maybe it's, it might be the inverse of that, but the point is they are all taking money from the Gates Foundation and they are, it's a, um, I think it's called the True News Initiative. Um, and what they do, I just wrote a big blog post about this and put it on my website. If it's not there, it'll be there later today. Okay. It's all about how language is being weaponized against us and how these groups, it's funded by Google and Facebook. These are not, um, these are, these are not organizations that have our best interests at heart and they are, right putting forth these initiatives, which are misnomered at the least and, you know, literally a weapon of disinformation at the worst. Against- it brings up the whole function of Congress, too, mm-hmm. because they don't read most of what they vote on. There's no way they would never have time to do that. No, I mean, if it was ethical, they should be unable to vote yes on anything they hadn't read and understood, which would eliminate like 99 percent of the laws. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I want to keep talking. The Affordable Care Act was, I think I saw it. Doc, it was like seven feet tall when they stack if they printed out and stacked it up. Right, like but it, they did give you a whole day to read it, though. Just like the Pfizer documents, right? Yeah, yeah. Four hundred thousand plus pages of documents that they say they needed seventy-five years to release. Right. They somehow managed to approve in a few months. Yeah, so somebody there read the whole thing, apparently, right? Of course. Said it was fine. Yeah. So I want to keep going, and maybe we can get together again, I hope. But um, in the last couple of minutes here, you have two functions, I think, that two uh, priorities in what you seem to be doing now. One is educating people as far as what's really happening, right? That's a major part. And then another part is what do you do about it? If you had to make a rough, you know, division, those are the two focuses, if I mm-hmm. understand you correctly. So if you had to summarize with a small amount of detail of what is the big situation, different than what the media is putting out, what education and the universities are brainwashing people for, what the government health agencies are saying, what's the picture of where we are right now? 
obviously, you know, we can't, that's something to, to describe fully would take several days probably. A hundred percent. But a little bit, what would you say about it just to give people a, a glimpse? So what we're experiencing in my view has nothing to do with public health and instead is implementation of a digital control grid with the intention of controlling the, the populace, the masses in service to the few at the top. And this is why they keep using all the phrases like build back better and mm. we're all in this together and, you know, do your part. And people, I'm sure most people have seen Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum's little 90 second video that he put out in 2018, I believe that's um, eight predictions for 2030. And the first one says, you will own nothing and be happy. Right? Right, right. So what we're really seeing in layman's terms is destruction of our civilization, a controlled demolition from the inside out in order to build back better mm-hmm. in the view of these globalists who want a technocratic one world government, meaning it's run by technocrats and themselves, not by elected public servants who have any accountability to the mm-hmm. populace. And in order to achieve this, they have to do a few things. They first have to destroy all the small and medium-sized businesses. They have to, um, which clearly we saw during the lockdowns, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was not safe to go to a mom-and-pop shop, but you could go to a Walmart. That was somehow safe. Right. There's no rational explanation for that, and and that's because it's not rational. It's part right. of the agenda. So they have to destroy all the small and medium-sized businesses because they employ two-thirds of the American workforce. Right. Huge number. Okay. Right. So you have right. to get rid of all those because you have to make those people dependent. You also have to destroy the food system and the foods and the supply chain for all goods and services. Yeah. And this is why we see all of the, um, we see a war on food essentially going on. I mean, it's. Boy, isn't it's, it interesting? All these food plants blowing up in the last several weeks. That's what I was just going to say. And then of course, yeah. also Russia and Ukraine. I don't eat wheat. I'm gluten intolerant. I'm allergic to gluten. But if you do eat wheat, 30% of the world's Wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine, and so does a huge portion. They're the biggest exporters of fertilizer, which is synthetic fertilizer, and I you know, don't promote it. But listen, you can't just make that go away overnight. No, absolutely not. It's like making oil go away overnight. That too, of right. course. It's the same thing. Yeah, That's one so, of the first things that Biden did is shut down all the oil pipelines. Exactly, exactly. Right. And, um, and stop all of the exploration, and even for congressionally approved um, sites in Alaska and elsewhere. They didn't issue any new contracts. Right, right. They could have the approvals, just they couldn't use them. Yeah. So so basically food, energy, um, employment, all of these things are under attack. And then, of course, our education system as well. And our education system was subverted decades ago, but that's something that we should talk about at another time. But the point is, all of these things are going away so that they can, because government needs to default. That's the big problem, okay? Governments are broke in in the United States and Europe in particular. The Europe is really, really bad off. We have $30 trillion in debt, $5 trillion in unfunded public pensions. In Europe, it's nearly $60 trillion in unfunded public pension liabilities. But you know that if you if you have a central bank system where the central banks issue the money out of nothing, they can't be broke in the real sense as long as they're allowed to keep issuing totally fiat money. But not but but see I disagree there because okay. who's going to buy it? What do you mean buy it? 
Well, the only way they can issue, they have to issue debt in order to fund themselves. You mean borrow based on collateral? Yeah. No. Where does a U.S. Treasury bond come from? And where does a Euro-based bond come from? They have to issue them and somebody has to buy them. And what happened in the 2008-9 crisis, this is much bigger. I know you want to wrap up in the not-too-distant. Well, it's an, I'm worried about just, you having to leave. So. I know, no, but my point is I know you want to go to your other um, group. Uh, yeah, but let me just say this. Part. So basically, the only way the central banks can work is if they are allowed to issue debt in order to roll over, renew their debt that's expiring because they have debt that's three months and one year and two years and ten, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and 30 years. And it's always expiring at all different times at different rates. And they have to roll it over by issuing new debt in order to keep servicing the existing debt. Governments okay? or central banks? Which one? Governments need to do it and they do it through the central banks. In Europe, the European Central Bank can't issue this debt unless all 27 member states agree. And so what happened is in the 089 crisis, they couldn't write off, no countries could write off their bad debts. Their banks couldn't write off their bad debts and clean up their balance sheets. But in the US, all the banks, the Fed required them to write off their bad debts. Okay. And then what happened was, They couldn't write off the bad debts and the central bank couldn't bail out those banks, couldn't help them, couldn't provide them looser um, rates or any kind of financing that would help the banks because all the other countries have to agree and they wouldn't allow one to subsidize one country to subsidize another country. Okay. And so what happened was the European central bank had to start buying all of its own debt all the Euro-denominated debt that's out there in order to support it. Now, there's no marginal buyer for their existing debt. They can't finance their liabilities. But wouldn't it, I mean, this is hard. I have to stop talking, but um, isn't it the governments that would be the, the fall people that would go broke? And when that currency and those entities dissolve, a new centrally issued digital currency is intended to take over. Well, hold on. Let me, you're, you're going, that's, I'm trying to explain what got us into the problem. Okay. So what oh, got okay. us into the problem was that these, listen, these politicians, they borrow with no intention of ever repaying. They make right. promises they never intend to keep. Right? right. We're going to give you these amazing pensions. And what's going to happen. The real issue is that the European central bank has had negative interest rates for over eight years And they have destroyed their pension market and their bond market because the reason that people invest in bonds, investors invest in bonds, because they get yield. They get a return and then they get their money back at the end. But when you have negative interest rates, you're not getting any yield. And a pension fund can't actually meet its liabilities unless they generate roughly 7 to 8% every year on their investments. Well, when, when bond prices for government bonds are zero or negative, bond yields... They're not making any money. So they've destroyed the pension market. And what's going to happen? Hundreds of millions of Europeans are going to wake up one day if things continue. And they're going to realize the emperor has no clothes. Those pensions are gone. And all of the money that they have been promising us in our retirement doesn't exist. And then what's going to happen to those people who've been driving the bus? If history is any lesson, they're going to get dragged out by their hair and... Right. <laughs> That's why they have private, uh, you know, places that they go to escape. At least that's their idea. That's one thing. But the other thing, the point is that 
if it were rational, right, the people would revolt and they would drag these people who've destroyed our economies, destroyed our societies, destroyed our pensions out by their hair and hang, draw and quarter them. That's what would happen. That's why they need the universities and the education and the media. To get you to comply. And also to get you to accept that the government is good and doing what's in your best interest. And so what's going to happen in my view, and I take a lot of this from Martin Armstrong, armstrongeconomics.com, genius of a man. I've followed him for almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, What he believes is going to happen. And I totally believe, I actually think it's worse than he thinks it is, but I won't go into that. But the point is that, Long before he was talking about it, I've been studying universal basic income. Universal basic income has been in these different trial programs across the United States and Europe for at least five or six, maybe seven years now. And this is where they give government, they call it universal basic income. But what it is, what is it? It's the dole. Right. It's government handouts. And it's conditional. Here's the reason. What's that? It's conditional. Of course, but just leave that to the side. What's the reason for it? The reason for it is so that the governments need to default on all their debt. Mm-hmm. They need to reset. And the only way they can make it palatable to the public is to say, we're going to forgive your debt. Your mortgage on your house. Australia has already started investing in people's private homes. They can take up to 40% stakes. So they're going to say, we'll let your debt go. We will. We're going to do something to help all of you debtors out there. We are going to forgive all of your mortgages and all of your credit cards and all your student loans and everything. And isn't it great? Because we care so much about you. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to start giving you universal basic income. So focus on that, not on the fact that we're going to default on $30 trillion of debt in the United States. Right. Um, okay. This is what the, the, so my, do you understand? It's like, it's, it's, they have to distract the public and placate the public with a handout that they think is for their good, which is actually for their own enslavement because that money, the universal basic income will be, it won't just have strings attached to it. It will be programmable, meaning it will expire after a month. So you can't save. It will only be, you can only buy a certain amount of meat or mm-hmm. a certain amount of gas or whatever they deem appropriate. So it's all in service to their agenda, their environmental and what is it? What's the ESG? What is it? It's environment, sustainability and governance, right? Or yeah, is it equity, so. sustainability and governance, maybe. The point is, it's all this stuff designed to dupe you into accepting your own enslavement. Right, exactly. And it's really complicated, but... It's all about, it's all because these governments are in a position where they can't kick the debt can down the street anymore. That's the real issue. These pensions, and they want to, I mean, what, what ruler gives up power voluntarily? They don't do that. And they know that their days are numbered, that the system's days are numbered. And the only way for them to retain power, retain control and retain their money. And in Mm -hmm. fact, actually increase their power and control and money is to create a massive class of serfs under them to whom they are not accountable anymore. That's what's going on. They have to reset everything. And the only way they make that, you know, appetizing to the public is by bribing them with universal basic income and debt relief. Right. And the guys at the top, it's not that they're ignorant of how to create real prosperity. They're cutting off natural resource production. 
oil, energy, food, you know, farming, all that stuff. You can't have an economic system that is based on uh, fiat currency with nothing behind it indefinitely. And then if you cut off the basic resources, like the oil, for example, you know that you're cutting off any possibility of sustainability of the financial system. So it's not like they're saying, oh, no, what's going to happen? They're doing it intentionally. Oh, so I th- I agree with 90% of what you just said there, but I want to respectfully disagree with one piece of it. Oh, please. That's fine. I don't think it's because of fiat currency. It's not because of fiat currency, because currency could be anything that you agree it is. It could be cowrie shells. That's all it is. Okay. The real issue is that these people have borrowed to the point and spent to the point that they can't actually ever get themselves out of it. In- because there's no scarcity in, in the system. No, because there's nobody, because there are enough intelligent investors that they know that actually the the faith of the government isn't anything, right? <laughs> there's nothing anymore. Yeah, there. yeah. Okay, and so they don't want it. They know that it's risky. It's not risk-free. It used to be believed that when you buy U.S. 30 Treasury bonds that they're risk-free, essentially, but that's not the case anymore. Right. So I used to believe that. That's what I was taught in business school, and it's what I believed when I was on Wall Street and afterwards, but... Martin Armstrong has convinced me that that's not the case, that it's not about fiat, that anything oh, oh, oh. can be the currency. Okay. What it really is about is about the just destruction of the society and the economy by people who don't care about it actually surviving. They care about their own futures and that's it. And I think it's a really important thing to know that in ancient Rome, they didn't have fiat. They had gold coins. They issued 10% of GDP every year to fund the government, and it wasn't inflationary. Okay? So this notion that only – the other thing is that inflation can come from different reasons. It can come from um, shortages, which is what we're experiencing right now. And I would argue that raising interest rates in the environment where the inflation is due to shortages is only going to make the situation worse, not better. If okay. you want inflation to be terrible, though, you do shortages combined with unlimited printing. Mm, no, inflation really is about lack of, gov- of faith in government. So there's two ways it happens. One is shortages, which we're experiencing mm-hmm. now. And okay. then the other is lack of faith in government. So when you look at everybody talks about the hyperinflation of um, post-World One Germany and what a disaster it was. What right. no one ever talks about is what preceded it. What actually triggered it? The German government confiscated 10% of everybody's wealth. So how do people feel when the government confiscates your wealth, your private wealth? Do you have a lot of faith in them? No. In Zimbabwe, was it, what was the problem? I mean, I have a $50 trillion note, I believe it is. Maybe it's $50 billion. No, I think it's trillion in my, in my drawer. Right. Um, my ex-husband was from Zimbabwe, and we used to go all the time. Anyway, um, How did it get that way? It's because people lost faith in the government. That's what really causes that kind of extraordinary hyperinflation. But again, this is way bigger topic to unpack for another time. So why don't we wrap there? Basically, here's the point. We are are in a situation where, I mean, I think you can argue that war is being perpetrated by those in power against the populace in order to destroy the our entire way of life, our society, our social fabric, and our economy, so that they can retain power as they reset the system in something that they will control completely. That's what I think is really going on. And then the question is, 
What do we do about it? I think the solution, I've been saying this for months and months, that globalism is the problem and localism is the solution. And what I mean by that is it's incumbent upon each and every person who is watching here to figure out what they can do in their own backyard. So buy junk gold, uh, junk silver, which is silver from before, silver coins, American silver coins from before mm-hmm. 1965, because <clears throat> they're a great medium in exchange. Right. They are. We know what they are, how much they're worth. They're almost pure silver if they were before 1965, right. before they were debased. So buy junk silver. Um, you can invest in gold coins um, as a store of wealth. You buy hard assets to try and weather the storm. Used cars, new cars, if you can find them. They're going up in price. Used cars mm-hmm. are going up in price right. because of what I'm talking about. Hard assets, real estate, businesses, farmland, commodities, things like this. And then what do you do locally? Build your own schools. Get your kids out of those public school systems because they are not right. teaching your kids anything except indoctrination. So get them out of yeah. there. Um, you can create your own local currency. There are currency, there are communities that have done this. Mm-hmm. So create your own local currency. Develop your own food shed. So work together with people in your community. You don't have to grow everything, but develop a local food shed. Grow some of your own food. Um, start building community for your own self-defense and things like this. You've right. got to build community, build your own community, build the parallel system. Oh, and most importantly of all, as a homeopath, mm-hmm. integrative health systems, true right. health, not pharmaceutical, chemical-based medical systems, a health system based on good, clean, healthy nutrition, right? right. Based on... Um, ancient healing arts and healing modalities like homeopathy, which I believe is the greatest um, magical medicine on the planet. So you can learn these things. You can stock up and build your own homeopathic pharmacy. You can do all these kinds of things, but and all the other things I've talked about in order to create resilience in your own community and a parallel system outside the old one. Right. So that as the old one collapses, because I I think that's a fait accompli. I I I, I don't think there's much way around that. It's right. it's happening, and so let's focus. You know, I spent the first six months of 2020 sobbing because I knew what was happening, and ever since then, I'll have a you know a day here or a few moments here and there where I will be sad about what's going on. And then I switch my focus and I say, I've been railing against the system for 20 years. I should be celebrating its demise and Mm -hmm. focusing on the way forward. Because here's the good thing, guys. Everybody's watching. We were all born for this moment in time and we get to rebuild. We get to rebuild something beautiful, something with integrity, something that's kind and something that's based on all of the principles that we hold dear for our children and our grandchildren and future generations. And that is what I think we should all be focusing on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the segue into whenever we get to do part two. So sure. cut it there and anticipation for the rest. And really appreciate getting to see you for a little while again. Sounds great. Now, Richard. Inspiring. Okay. Thank yeah. you so very much. Okay, guys, there goes Leslie Manukian, the founder of healthfreedomdefense.org. Uh, definitely a good website to check out. And I, sh- I really should have mentioned in the original introduction to the whole thing that Health Freedom Defense 
Incorporated, Health Freedom Defense Fund Incorporated was uh, the group that sued Joe Biden and some associates of his for the mask mandate, federal mask mandate, requiring you to wear a face covering on air travel trains and other public transportation like that. Um, and it got overturned because of what Leslie Mnookin's group did. Really a great service to everybody. There were, even, as she said in the interview, even if you believe that viruses exist, which is strongly in question by doctors like Tom Cowell and, and other, other people that have been on our show, Sherry Tenpenny is in that direction now too. Um, even if you believe that, they're so small that they just fly right through the mask anyway, and they do nothing except make the individual breathe in more uh, carbon dioxide and rebreathe toxins that the body's trying to get rid of. So as uh, other doctors that we posted on our website have concurred, uh, masks have no benefit in a viral outbreak situation if, in fact, that happened happens at all and in the covid situation there's no proof up to this point that a virus is even involved that's another long story but if they are the mask holes are way too big to do any good and it just raises the co2 content that is supposed to be oxygen and other gases that you're breathing so it was leslie's group that got that unconstitutional and illegal mandate overturned They're doing a lot of good uh, work on the legal front Uh, besides that. And we're going to have Leslie back as soon as possible to talk about specifically what they're working on in those areas. But it's mainly education and litigation that the group is founded for. And they're really worth supporting uh, healthfreedomdefense.org and the movie that they made, The Greater Good, which I've seen more than once. Um, Definitely worth watching. GreaterGoodMovie.org is where you can find it. Still available. And um, as she said, it's worth checking out all the references from the movie and things about homeopathy. And uh, as our, many of our other guests have agreed, as the conventional uh, corrupt society falls apart, rather than just waiting for that to happen, it's better to be using all the time we've got at our disposal to build um, more life-friendly, human-friendly, alternative civilization and society. And that's what they're involved in. So healthfreedomdefense.org, stay in touch with them. You can be on their newsletter too. And um, hopefully we'll see Leslie in the very near future. Stay in touch with us too at lostartsradio.com. We're still on multiple platforms and some of them we can't say too much, like some that you know. The initials start with letters like, oh, I don't know, YT. Uh, but most of the other ones, we're still able to say what we say in the main shows, and we'll do that as long as we can. All kinds of uh, free information and articles and videos go up on lostartsradio.com almost every day. And you're welcome to take advantage of that. And then we're meeting once a week live and interactive on Planetary Healing Club, planetaryhealingclub.com. You're invited to that. And uh, keep doing all these projects as long as we can. If you want to support us and help us stay on air, uh, 
there's a donate button at lostartsradio.com and also a um, subscribe star link, and they both work fine. I think that's about it. The main message being that we're, you know, as Leslie was explaining in some detail, humanity is under attack right now, but that doesn't mean that attack has to succeed. It's a consciousness test for, for all of us, not just IQ in the conventional means, because there's a lot of really brilliant people with high IQs working for destruction at the moment. It's a matter of a different kind of intelligence and common sense and being able to see what's right in front of us in spite of corrupt education and criminal media and education that has uh, subliminal messages in it like entertainment does to try to keep us asleep and we need to break out of that. So we know that you're doing that and it's greatly appreciated. I consider you the great hope, certain hope for the future. Take care of yourself, get your health back, become independent and away from the poisons and uh, injectable poisons in all different forms in the so-called medical industry and learn what's really available, as Leslie was alluding to in the form of homeopathy. But there's all kinds of options where you don't need the medical system unless you get run over by a car or something like that. So learn, learn everything you can. Take responsibility for your own education, your own life. Try to help your kids avoid being trapped in uh, what they call the school system. It's really not educational at all. It's indoctrination, very damaging on psychological and physical levels. So take responsibility. That's what we're all trying to do. And let us know feedback from the shows, suggestions, guests you'd like to see on, um, questions, anything like that. There's a uh, communication form on lostartsradio.com, and we read all of them. So take care of yourself. Thanks for all that you're doing to try to help waking up humanity and yourself as a start. And we'll see you here next time. Take care. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live. 
for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on Big Tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows, except the banned ones, are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum, as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.